Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Christine Forrester from Smack Dab. Hello. <laughs> I just, cute. I don't know. How are you today? I am good. Um, it's been a little bit of a crazy day, but now I'm here chilling with Kitty in the really comfortable chair. Requisite cat in lap. Yes. I've like said on the show before that I'll always mention when there's a cat in lap, and I, I need to make sure that I follow Definitely. up with that. Because it's not every time. No. It's most times. Yeah. It is most times, but not every time. Oh, she's getting the good pets, though. <laughs> Those good, good pets. Um, well, I'm really glad that you're here. I know that what is uh, a thing that is going on with Scappy is we were recently launched like a food section, and so oh. we've been doing it with like with like features and stuff like that. And oh. we're like we're like gonna start talking about figuring out what recipes are gonna look like because we want to like publish recipes and stuff. And so just kind of like developing what like kind of eating scoppy people do not that we need that not that that's like a thing but my, well, my i'm pretty point, sure it's a thing i think everyone yeah eats yeah for sure oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People, you know yeah, what i mean there's, yeah. there's definitely eating yeah but right. anyone i would say that a thing that scoppy readers and everyone have in common is, is that, that they eat is that they eat right yeah well and i think it's i think the thing that's <laughs> brings you know, us all together absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well and i and i think that like as we're kind of like Featuring more, well, first off, because we both love coffee, I think fe- featuring more people and like, I when we were starting to think like, okay, what small businesses, local businesses do we want to feature? I think you were probably like one of the first three that we thought of. Just number because, one, like, Starbucks. Number yes. two, 100, McDonald's. 100, yes. Number three, SmackDown. Yeah, right. that is uh, <laughs> verbatim our list. I can show you the note in my phone. It's right. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, so suffice to say, we're like really excited to have you here. Um, so what I would love to know is kind of like how Smack Dab got started. Mm, what a tale. <laughs> so it's just crazy to think about because we're coming up on our third anniversary of beginning the pop-up. So like blah, 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 back to 2015, uh, my partner and I... Um, who at the time were not together romantically, but decided to open a business together, which may be a whole separate podcast. But my partner <laughs> Axel and I were um, in a really interesting place in our careers. We had realized that we absolutely had not wanted to work for anybody else. And we had opened up um, a farmer's market company. And we had a really unfortunate incident with a partner not being a good person Um, and so that business ended up closing and so it was kind of like really heartbreaking in a way but we spent about a year recuperating and we were working all these kind of odd jobs and um, we had started a supper club which we loved it was called the above ground supper club because I thought it was kind of ridiculous that it was like underground everything is so secret it was like what if it isn't and everyone just gets to go Um, so we had it in our apartment we had this huge dining room and we started doing um, supper clubs and we did uh, vegetarian and gluten-free friendly and even vegan friendly always because um, it was just sort of like wild to not be able to find specialty food even still I'm gluten-free yeah. and kind of dairy-free not by choice but by you know physical necessity sure. and like it was like that's it, a relatable thing yeah oh god so so unfortunate to realize that and go down that path of like no no really don't eat the cheese don't do it 
Um, but people, I think, end up forcing themselves to eat a lot. Be- mm-hmm. uh, things that they shouldn't because they're socially isolated because of mm-hmm. eating out. Now, that's gotten way better. Every mm-hmm. year gets exponentially better, I think. But um, So at that time, we were doing the supper club. And I think we did 14 or 15 dinners. Tons of fun. So much work. And we finally got to the point where we were like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just open something. Let's just do it. Let's just do a pop-up. Let's just find some place um, and... Let's not have to wait for two to three years getting all these permits. Let's just do it. And that was a privilege because we didn't have kids and we didn't have, you know, mortgages or something like that. But we sort of just took a chance and we saw these spaces that sat empty all the time during the day. And well, especially where y'all are set up. Yes. Like in that. that in that area, like, you know, because there's a lot to be said about areas. So because I lived um, I lived on the west side of Clark, like on Albion. Yeah. When I first moved to Chicago. Yeah. And like that area is interesting specifically just because like there isn't a lot of development that happens Mm-mm. there. Because that's kind of when you start getting into like neighborhoods and like what neighborhoods you want to be set up in. Like the kind of like red flag areas are the ones that are like very clearly being developed for like white audiences. You know what I mean? And I feel like very much so that that neighborhood, although obviously it's like not predominantly, oh, not predominantly white neighborhood, it's also not not actively being like invested in mm-hmm. in a, in no, a very it's heavy-handed so, way. So Rogers Park is this magical zone of it's like the last frontier mm-hmm. of Chicago, but even still people don't really see it. So we became sort of enamored of that area in Glenwood with the cobblestone, you know, the Glenwood Arts District or whatever and mm-hmm. We loved it because it was really close to the farmer's market. So our first pop-up was inside of a bar, right? It was literally a counter we got custom built. That counter, interestingly enough, came with us to all three pop-ups and is now deconstructed and used in our Clark Street location. Axel was like really, I think, sentimental about that. So it has been used and reused in every way, which is very cool. But anyway, so we started as this little counter and as the farmer's market started, it opened right, the, our door literally opened right into the middle of the farmer's market. And so we st- we opened May 11th, also my mother's birthday. I never lived that one down. Because mm. um, <laughs> I didn't tell her. We didn't tell anyone. We opened, we told everyone a week before we were opening. We just sort of like threw caution to the wind. So we opened. And the rest is history Taurus. in the sense that what? Taurus. She is a Taurus. It took me, I always forget oh. about Taurus. Like, Sorry, I'm so sorry. No, I no, no. No, I was going to say, oh, a Taurus. Yeah. And she's one of those people who, who like all Taurus, Tauri, Tauruses, sure. would say, absolutely not. I'm not a Taurus. And I'm like, you will literally ram down anyway in one. Well, so way. we've been discovering this thing because I do feel like Tauruses fall into this category of where are there are, oh my God, we got to be really careful to not go down an astrology rabbit like, hole. But I, I insist that we not go down an astrology rabbit hole. Just going to say one thing hole. that there are just some signs <laughs> that are just very clearly written for other people like written by other people and there's not like a person writing for that sign that's true like misunderstood is, yeah, yeah misunderstood yeah, yeah. anyway i already have a bunch of other questions but let's finish let's yeah. keep, keep talking about your story so sorry no no hey no, mom no, no. love you mom um <laughs> and so we we were there we started to get a crowd you know axel is from chicago and knows everybody um he grew up not even too far from here just across the street from like Sen high school basically so mm. People just started to notice, like, whoa, what is that place doing cool local stuff? He's an amazing, amazing baker. And I have a background in, you know, I've been in customer service, like front of house for like 16, 17 years now. So 
Um, I grew up working at my aunt's restaurant at Tweet and Big Chicks. So, oh, cool. Oh, oh yeah. shit. Yeah. So that place is great. She's I love that kind of stuff. The bomb. She's the I bomb. I love when that happens, when it's like, oh, another really cool kind of like independent undergrounder yes. almost kind of space where like, because it's really little known unless you know this neighborhood. The original head bitch in charge, mm-hmm. like taught me everything that she knew. And cool. then at some point I was like, time for baby bird to go f- spread her wings and fly. And so kind of encapsulating that spirit of like fun, casual, but really like made with love and like delivered with like real personality. And sure. so, so it just sort of rolled from there. So we kind of bar hopped, as we said, because we moved then from um, that space. So we moved to the red line tap, which was like the most bizarre novel thing, right? Like you're like mm-hmm. entering this dive bar that's like shadowy and dark and the there I am popping up like this elf, like hello. Like, yeah, I gotta a shout out. You know? I like, gotta shout out Marissa Abbas as you talk about this because we. So I used to run Opera on Tap Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and we used to do our show out of Redline Tap. And but she'd been following y'all for the longest time, and that was kind of like how I learned about y'all was through like hearing about this like undercurrent of people that knew about you from like the Rogers OG Sparks crew. Folks. Yeah, right, right, right. No, so um, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah, so, and so we. Everything was done completely on social media and the internet, which is just a testament to like the world that we live in because sure. there was no real address, there were no signs, there was nothing. So I was just like hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. But Rogers Park is perfect for that. It's like such a loyal, interesting, kind of hippie alternative neighborhood. They love shit like that. Other neighborhoods don't care, right? They they want the opposite. I think they want more flashiness. They want more kind of establishment. And this is almost like an anti-establishment neighborhood, somewhat to our detriment in some ways. But so then we were, you know, looking for, we've been looking for spaces during this entire time. And then in like November of last year, we finally found the Clark Street location. We saw it and I was like, a parking lot? We're in. Like, fuck it. It doesn't matter. The space could be completely demolished on the inside, which it sort of was, but we, it had a lot of great bones. But the parking lot, like a parking lot in Rogers Park. That's never Wild. happens right yeah. so it's like strip mall felt very la was like oh this is gonna be awesome like a funky fresh you know like hipster strip mall idea you know so so now that's open we just hit our year anniversary there and it's been really interesting because we've been in shared space kitchens and driving everything back and forth and for like two years i got up at 3 a.m you know, to get to a kitchen, to fry all the donuts, to make all the biscuits, to pack it, to set up. And it was like a farmer's market every single day. Um, But it definitely prepares you for being in business because talk about challenging and challenging Mm -hmm. in a very different way. Like now that we have a main location where you're in it and you're paying all these, you know, overheads and it's it's a it's just a different beast. So having the pop up and a fixed location is very unique. It's it's really interesting. Ab- absolutely. No. Well, so I, like, in the past year, actually, in the past year, I have, I have been involved in two cafe openings. I was on, like, the opening team for, um, do you know Fairgrounds in Wicker Park? Yes. I've driven by it. I've never been there, but I've... That's for the best. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. So I was I'm, talking yeah. that trash. No, I so I was on their opening team. They started out with this like really amazing like, oh, we're gonna take craft coffee, but we're gonna make it like we're gonna try to make craft coffee like make make real like corporate money. So they were they were trying to mm. they were trying trying to take craft coffee and and add corporate culture. 
Add Taking Starbucks. the best of both worlds. Wow, yeah. pretension oh, and corporate culture. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God bless. Yeah, and so... God bless. And so, because um, I had come... Um, I, I used to work for a coffee and tea distributor, and then I was like, get me out of this office. And they were like, do you want to work for this cafe that we're opening? And I was like, yeah, sure, I need a job. And then I worked there for, for like nine months and was like you know, losing my mind with how, like, It was like a Frankenstein and, baby. It was like they yeah, had put was, pieces of things together. And, like, it, like the I, I felt there, like, wasn't any spirit. It was all just, like, it was all slogans. Like, there was no, like, there was no heart behind it. It was, like, a lot of thermometers. Like, I remember kind of, like, the, the, um, the breaking point for me was one of the, they, like, had hired another boss. Like, there was another boss that I had to f- deal with. And um, I he asked me to make him a latte, and so I made him a latte, and I put it down, and then he took a surface thermometer and put it against the surface of my latte and said, this is 20 degrees too cold. And I was like... But, like, did you taste it? It was probably delicious. It was... I'm sure it was delicious. <laughs> and And I was just like... In my head, I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. And then... And then I helped open this cafe that I'm at now, Frisip Cafe, and, like seeing the difference between like individuals who like can just throw millions on millions on millions of dollars into into a cafe opening and like how like smooth and scheduled it can be and then then going into like Mm -hmm. actual small business chaos this is what it takes like skinned knees sleepless nights like Sewers backing up. Real shit. Yeah. Literally. I'm I'm wondering, like, looking back on, you know, it's been a year out and I'm sure I'm sure it's not smooth sailing. But like kind of looking back on those times, like, are you able to look back on like the opening of that of the cafe? Like, is it is it still like chaotic and nerve wracking or is it like fond yet? It I think the challenges change. Like, it's a whole new set of challenges. So I think we feel like we're hitting our stride. Like, for... It's almost like when you move into a new house and you don't really recognize your own house because Mm -hmm. you haven't really put your energy into it yet. You're like, ooh, it's still new and weird and I don't really... That's what Clark felt like for a while because everything was changing and changing. I know you've seen, like, the difference in the physical layout. Like, when we started... It looked completely different than what what it looks like now because we didn't start. We had a pretty limited budget. It was pretty shoestring. So we've added these little pieces gradually. So it wasn't like we like did it all and finished it all. And we were like, yeah, this looks great. Let's open and kind of get settled in. Everything has changed. So we just put in that hood. We added that more savory menu. Um, but yes, it does sort of feel like you get used to. It's more like being... I think when you first try to do any, like, when you try to pedalboard or you try to skateboard, and at first you're like, oh my God, and you're constantly falling because of the balance. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you just get used to being balanced with something that's constantly moving. And that's what it feels like. It's like you're kind of more grounded in the fact that it's always kind of crazy. It's like, okay, yep, something else went wrong today. That's just how it is. Like, that's just the nature of it. So... We are, you know, in a place where, you know, you have growing pains where it's really amazing to be successful and so grateful, like truly hashtag blessed to have a customer base that comes so much and is growing. But it's ironic that it leads to new and multifaceted and more challenging um, obstacles. Um, like, you know, again, like what, where do you go next? And 
at some point as the owners you have to step away and stop doing everything and delegate and train and that is such a hard thing you know like you don't realize just what a helicopter parent you are until you have to watch an employee who is new fuck something up and you're like I just have to sit there and let them do it and that's 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 a humbling moment for sure (laughs) my god um oh did you was I Uh, no go ahead um so I'm wondering like something something that I'm interested in and something that's become increasingly common is that um more and more restaurants are incorporating more inclusive options for people who come in like more vegan options more gluten-free options stuff like that um in your case you know I think that it's kind of built into your mission statement Mm -hmm. where like you did want to create an environment for you know specifically you know specifically for individuals who did have different dietary restrictions because of you know your experience i'm wondering though like as as a cafe that has successfully implemented those like structural like the bones for people with different dietary restrictions what are like some what's like some advice that you could give like cafes that are trying to implement those those structure like those structures that allow a more diverse population to come in yeah dietary wise yeah yeah (laughs) we'll talk about that other yeah yeah (laughs) um well i am very fortunate because axel is one of the most talented bakers and chefs i've ever met so um I think that's a lot of it. I think it's a lot about the recipe. Like you can't, at the end of the day, if the recipe isn't good, it doesn't matter. It's like, and that's kind of, I think, been part of the challenge is that so many places don't have a good recipe for a vegan thing or a gluten-free thing that you eat it. And you're like, this is garbage. This is so depressing, you know? Um, So I think you have to start with good quality ingredients. We are all about our good quality fats, right? So like whatever you're making, it has to be, satiating so there's a lot about taking i think the time to not just slap something on the menu because like you're saying people can smell insincerity from a mile away at least they should be able to i'm like guys come on there's so much good stuff out there now but i think so it's like not sacrificing quality because you just want to get something out there not rushing it um Getting feedback, asking, not being afraid to change your mind or change your recipe or be like, ooh, we did not get good feedback on that. Like, you know, taking your ego out of it to be like, this is for the customers, right? Like when we first started the pop-up, the menu literally looked nothing like it looked now. The only thing we have now are the cheesy biscuits, which are the bomb, not vegan, sorry, or gluten-free, so I get it. Like, I don't eat them either, but I smell them, and they are delicious smelling. But um, So the cheesy biscuits and coffee. Everything else went through a full cycle. That's literally it? That's it. Wow. So we started off with all kinds of things, and I think that's, like, one of the things people think you can't change. Now, no, you can't change your name or your location every single day, but what you're doing within it, it's like, it's important to be really flexible and like it's not about you if someone doesn't like your food or that particular recipe it's just maybe not what your customer wants so there's like this element of having to remember like oh right I'm here to serve and I'm here to give good service and not compromising on your ideals or your ethos 
but it doesn't say anything but good things about you if you pull something from your menu because it's not selling. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is just a willingness to ask for help, to say like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I may need to pay someone to come like, like help me consult on a recipe or like get me some good recipes or like watch YouTube or, you know, ask a, ask another cafe, like go in and talk to people, um, and to change something's not working. Just got to keep trying until it works. So yeah. Yeah. I, this is kind of also like a thing that we're thinking of a lot, a lot too. And kind of when I realized when we started this episode, I was like, this isn't actually anywhere. This is a later into the episode thing to bring up, which is the thing of thinking about like what, we want like food coverage to look like in the world just because I know so many people that have a dietary restriction. I don't know a lot of people that have the same one though at this point. And I think it's, it's interesting as a vegan to be that way. Cause I know that there are a lot of like vegan Facebook groups and stuff that I'm in. It's where, a little fetishized. Oh, it's terrible. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of used as like a social control and a shaming thing and not obviously by everyone. I right. think a lot of no, people do yeah. it for many reasons, but it's highly contentious in this yes, society. Yes. And, so and, it's and, like, Woo, really loaded. You know, yeah, like, and whoa. I think that, like, what ends up happening is, you know, people, like, in any other thing, people create echo about chambers, and especially vegans do that because it's such a, like, high, like, it takes a lot of work for veganism. And I think it takes a lot of work for, for being gluten-free either, or, like, ketogenic is a very, seems like a very similar space where it's, like, it takes so much, you have to really know the science behind how it works, the way in which you get whatever it is that you need to get through ketogenics and stuff. So we have a couple friends that are ketogenic. Mm-hmm. And, and anyway, so my point here is, like, as a person that, um, I like, I, I cook a lot. I love cooking. And I, I think when I first started cooking a lot as a vegan, I was like, oh, I need to, like, get my vegan repertoire down. And, like, that's all I'm going to focus on. And I think in the last year, I've, like, worked really hard to focus on, like, thinking about, like, it's not just about that. Like, what, like, don't we want to invite everyone to the table? And I feel like that's such a, like, a much powerful, more powerful mindset to be, like, be able to be like this here is something that everyone will like like i always think of like when we were in new york visiting my family and they were talking someone was telling me about my grand my their grand my parents grandmother who for her it wasn't about just like having the one recipe that she knew she cooked really well but actually thinking of like what is every person that's coming to the dinner table and what's their favorite food Mm. and i'm gonna make sure that i have their favorite food and i think that's something that like that mindset of and I, I think that it, that resonates with a lot of things that you've already said which is this idea of like making not just having not just having a vegan thing or a gluten-free thing or a dairy-free thing but like a thing that is actually good i had a question in the middle of this and i just lost it well it was a very powerful stream of consciousness no i there was a really the relevant there. there was a really relevant thing to to if if you want to think about it i yeah. i have a so um she's got her shit together so if you could get your shit together actually that'd like, be great this is a metaphor but, and i'm seeing talk. it play out i totally get it partners um, who work together you know what yeah, i mean it's exactly. like it's a thing uh, so um i i have to tell you that like before like leading into this episode like people were really excited that we were going to talk to you because a lot of the people who like our was stuff, it trending I'm just it kidding. Was, I just, it was trending. We have like an <laughs> internal audience. Oh my god! Like yeah. we have an internal Facebook group that is like probably like 200 people. Whoa! Um, yeah, were there and, murmurs? 
Well, oh yeah, we posted I, about it. We I were like today. I was because I I I'm trying something new, particularly with talking to you, just because I know that a lot of people in that Facebook group like smack dab and so tell I, me anyone who doesn't and i'll kill them <laughs> and i will find them and i will hurt them no but um i was asking i asked like does anybody have any questions that they would want me to ask christine yeah and so um i have i'll i can just like if at any point we need a question i can just pull from that well yeah go for it yeah, yeah so the first the first thing that somebody wanted to know um her name is Amanda. She just moved here and she lives in Rogers Park and came in and, and loves it. Um, and she wants to know, like, what is the key to, like, a really good biscuit? Oh, so that is maybe a little more of an Axel question. But what is the key to a really good biscuit? Butter. Yeah. I mean, again, I think even in a vegan biscuit, you're using that vegan butter. Oh, 100%. I think... God, I'm going to just bullshit if I'm going to keep talking. But so the one that we have, I'll just bring it back to Smack Dab only because I don't, I am, I was raised in a really, really like health conscious family. So we did not bake. Baking was verboten. When I told my parents I was opening a bakery, I think they were like really confused. And it took me a few years to really in- integrate that like it wasn't about the food. It was about so much more because my mother I think was kind of horrified about the fact that I was going to be selling donuts you know like fried food like we raised you better than that you know so and truth they did they really raised us really healthy so we didn't really bake it was like there was a little bit of like good food bad food kind of Mm -hmm. that dichotomy thing which again I think as Americans and as people in 2018 were working on integrating how like there is no such thing as that it's just about healthy mindsets and mindful eating also maybe separate podcasts but um so for our biscuit, it's sort of an amalgam of like 15 years of actual baking. It's all like the favorite things that he's found. Ours is actually more like a scone. So it's lighter and it's not as dense as like, you know, like a sour cream biscuit or traditional like buttermilk, like really heavy. So ours has buttermilk in it. It's got um, butter in it. It's got two different kinds of cheeses and it's got a ton of fresh herbs. But it's still, again, it has that almost like crumbly, more mm-hmm. light flavor. And we don't... Like biscuits, you're usually like cutting butter in, and this we actually mix. Like we're we're hand mixing, and it's very very simple. So it makes kind of I think a better sandwich. So I usually find biscuits pre my gluten free days that were very very heavy. I found them very rich, but like that's like great working in the fields food. But like for me, most things are too rich. So I like ours because it's really flavorful and but fluffy and lighter. That's so, really, yeah, you know, that's really interesting to me because like I, I have some baking knowledge and for me, like I think biscuit and the first thing that comes into mind is cutting in like butter. That's like the, class- the butter. It's got to get flaky. You that's know? the classic recipe that you cut butter mm-hmm. into. And so the fact that y'all don't is like very interesting. To Wild. Me. Yeah. It's like it's actually like if a if a baker like if a like traditional like like French baker were to hear that they'd be like, what? But like. And, like, I'm sure they're delicious, though. But they, they are they more a scone. Like, yeah. So nobody wants to say herb cheddar scone because scones are gross. Like, unless they're done really well. I mean, yeah, how many I times have like you been? Name, name in your whole life how many times you've had a good scone. Like, I can think of once. Usually they're just, like, eh. Or, like, the scones with, like, clotted cream. Like, we don't fuck with that. That's not what we do here. You know what I mean? So we sort of, like, married together a couple things because, again, like, our food has got to be practical and good. Does it matter if it's a scone or a biscuit? 
I don't think so. No, it's a no. it's a it's a vessel. It's a, it is it's a vessel and it's a portal to a sandwich yeah. and to a transcendent, delicious, cheesy, heavenly experience. Like eating a fresh baked biscuit out of an oven, it is like a religious, spiritual moment. I was like, oh my god, God is real. It was like, <laughs> like, and that same with like a fresh rolled cinnamon sugar donut, like. It's just about that hot, pillowy goodness, you know. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Um, so a lot of a lot of places they, I, 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 you know, a lot of places will value like aesthetics over taste, and like do you, like I I think that, and I, I'm not at all saying that that's what y'all are about. Like the opposite, really. Not that you're. Holy oh my shit. god, our food is ugly. <laughs> Your food oh, is wait, so ugly. No. I don't I know, know what, what I'm you saying mean. Right I now. know what you mean. You're I'm getting nervous. Like, you're sweating. Yeah. No. Oh it's, my god. It's really. Ooh. No. So I'm wondering, like, how, like, when you're approaching a new recipe, like, w- like. You think of taste, but, like, at what point are you thinking about, like, presentation? Like, how much does that play into it? Well, I think, I think presentation and aesthetic goes, runs through all things, Mm -hmm. right? So that was one of the things I really learned from my aunt at Tweet was, like, she was so particular about how everything looked. And it was this sort of fine dining detail without all the bullshit you don't need mm-hmm. right but like if you go there there's five hot sauces on the table and there's all the different sugars and there's the jellies in the bowls and but it's like about this experience and it's curated but it's so casual that you don't think about it and that's what's beautiful so it goes from now again our space is by no means perfect but you know i'm somebody who's like you know, the stool's got to be pushed in and like the tables have to be a, a certain way and the pillows should be lined up because it go. it's it's not just about the food and how it looks, even though we live in this like crazy Instagram centric, everything's about how it looks. But like that's that weird imbalance, right? Like food that is like, you know, it's like when you see like a picture of a Bloody Mary and there's like a triple cheeseburger and like a fried mm. piece of fried chicken on it. I think like, where have we gotten to in our lives where, like, that's what we need to be excited? Mm-hmm. And that may be, like, a little judgmental, but I'm like, we're, like, much about, you know, simple plating. I think a lot of that comes from you pare down aesthetics. You know, it's not like a, a swoosh and one, you know, herb on a plate. It's not that kind of aesthetic. But it is about, like, reducing things to the elements that are important. Yeah. And so I do I do think that, again, Very a good... Brutalist. Yeah, a, a, like a good recipe or a good experience is um, just going to gloss over that. We're not going there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, an architecture reference. I'm Don't just like, me. just keep going. Um, I do think, though, like you can have something that's really simple and really beautiful and I think that you don't have to choose and so like it's sometimes about a really nice garnish or like it's about the plate and or the way you serve something or the way it's presented so I guess it comes through a ton of doing it again and again and again and I truly believe that everyone has an artistic eye the degree to which they're tapped into that is um very varies widely right you Mm -hmm. go somewhere and you're like wow you've just got you just don't have it here you know like things just don't look good Mm -hmm. but I think it takes this element of being like tapped into the flow and like just knowing like what do you want to see like you know what makes something look 
you know, half-assed to fabulous. It usually takes literally 30 seconds and just a turn or just a little something, a little fluff or a little plating underneath it. So I don't know. I guess we don't really think about it that much because we start with the flavors Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. elements and the clean food and all that stuff comes afterwards and is incorporated as you build like a dish right or as you present a new thing but we've definitely said like wow that's delicious but it looks like sludge so we can't serve that (laughs) so like (laughs) how can we reinvent that you know i i can so deeply relate to that because as a person who like my my food like i've i've worked every fucking possible job in a restaurant but like what i've done most often is barista and like in terms of making something look good, like what I have to work with at a at a base level is brown liquid, mm-hmm. and so like there's only so much you can do with a with two ounces of brown liquid to like make it beautiful, and like there are so many different flavors that you could add to that brown liquid, but like at the end of the day, you have to make it look appetizing, and it's like there are there are like a lot of flavor combinations. Like you know what's delicious is a matcha hot chocolate, but Boy, if it doesn't look like literal poop. Yeah. And so like a baby poop where they ate a lot of spinach. I know. Mm-hmm. And so like I can't put matcha hot chocolate on a menu because it literally looks like poop. And so like it, it is that it is kind of that tightrope of like you don't want to care too much about how what like what's something. But like you're not we, we don't walk around with our eyes closed like we eat with our eyes. Yeah. first, So it's like absolutely not going to serve that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. No. And I do think too like as you were talking I was thinking about how I was also listening but I was also (laughs) thinking um about how so much of it goes so much of it is about the care that you put into it and how um I remember uh, listening to the or watching the episode of chef's table about Larpege in France where he talks about everything he does is not a task it's a gesture and I think that's really beautiful and it's about this like offering so I think that that falls into it. Like you wouldn't make an offering of something that's completely without um, panache, for lack of a better word. You know, there's something that's moving about something that looks a certain way Mm -hmm. and is treated in a certain way. So, yeah, a cup of coffee doesn't look that great, but it's something we're conditioned to. Like people love seeing it because they're like, oh, caffeine brain. Exactly. But when the mug looks good and it's clean and people's hands aren't like in the coffee or like sloshing all over the counter, it's it's about this energy that you carry through the food and it moves through the food into the person. So I do think in a lot of ways it is secondary, but like most things paradoxically, they can't really be separated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I figured out what I was trying to say before. Yay! Um, one of the things we talk about a lot, we've talked about it a lot in the last like 200 episodes of this podcast, <laughs> is um, we've unpacked, we've worked to unpack the term accessibility. And that I think is kind of where I'm trying to get to with this whole thought of dietary restrictions. Of course, there's like degrees where the accessibility that we end up talking about, which tends to involve like like race and gender and, and um, sexual orientation, especially like in programming and all that's kind of where all the biggies. Yeah. Um but I, I also think there's an there's an interesting kind of take to this with um with talking about these dietary restriction things. And I think that's kind of why I know when we were talking about like when I said like, oh yeah, we definitely wanted to talk to SmackDab is because that just seems to be something that you do do well from the get-go you know and i and I, so i guess um my curiosity for you is um 
because this and this is the thing that's difficult about asking this question is because I'm not sure that there's really like a name for this space yet. But this like, what do you call this like outsider foodie mm. space? Do you know what I mean by that kind of like mm-hmm. people that are aware of dietary restrictions and are OK with them? Like, like generally, and like, is that a market that you realized that you were like leaning into? Um, and do you think there's a value in that market potentially? And I don't mean to use such like terrible, trashy capitalist terms. Well, but, but we at the end of the day, like you know, businesses run on money, and right. they need so much of it. Like right. they're always suckling at the teeth. It's just crazy. But so, I like to think of smack dab as a safe space. Um, just generally speaking, you know, I'm sure we have ways to go, but like, I think in general, our goal is, and my goal is to just see someone for who they are. And that is exactly where they are, how they are. You can be as pajama-y cat hair as you want. You can be as like fabulous done up as you want. You can be in any stage of your life or whatever. I think it's, it's just about showing up. And about having someone validate and be like, yeah. So for me, the what we eat is so important because, like, I think one of the things we don't talk about enough is, like, how fucked up everyone is about food. For sure. Like, oh, my God, so much shame, so much body shaming, mm-hmm. so much unconsciousness. I mean, people are walking around who very clearly have serious dietary restrictions, who have terrible, like, I'm not even talking about body size i'm talking about like you know ibs or these like crohn's disease like and so much of this can be healed and changed through like food right but like we're all so fucked up about it mm-hmm. and um it's not really about the food but that's the way that we play out a lot of our ways that we want to be healed right so i think to be able to just like say like yeah food is a thing but like it's not a big deal unless you want to make it a big deal right so like you can come in and eat something like it's it's just so hypocritical to say that you want to welcome everyone and then have things that only certain people can eat i mean let's not even go into the environmental degradation that like commercial farming does um and i think i even struggle with that like we do serve bacon jam and we do use dairy and we're trying to figure out how to ever get ever closer to sourcing sustainably but the reality is that is hard Mm -hmm. it's expensive Mm -hmm. it's unreliable and and finding this middle ground but really being like look we're all humans and we really need to eat more together we need to be together more we need to have more spaces where we can sit across from each other people who are not like us or just come and share physical space because it's ludicrous to me that people judge other people for what they eat. And obviously, that's just a cover. But mm-hmm. I'm like, everyone needs to get the fuck over it because we have some serious challenges ahead yeah. for humanity. And we need to all like be well-nourished, right? There's that quote, like, one cannot live well, you know, by... Um, Oh my God, a room of one's own. Virginia Woolf. It's that whole thing. You can't live well, essentially, if you have not eaten well. And so, like... Food nourishes us to be able to be in this body, to be able to be a spirit doing things on this planet, right? So, like, fun fact, I'm actually a clairvoyant and professionally trained psychic, so we can talk about all that fun stuff, too. But, like, that's, like, about, like, the body needs to be nourished so we can do what we came here to do, right? So, like, you can't be here saying you want to serve people if you're not 
if you're not incorporating that. Now, that's me. Other people, their passion and calling is a barbecue joint. Their passion and calling is charcuterie. That's beautiful. Um, That's not my thing, right? So my thing is like validating people at the end of the day. And so I love like the challenge of like finding good recipes and making them taste in a way that people are like, damn, this donut is vegan? Shit. Because it forces them to think about something in a different way way like let go of limiting mm. beliefs and we all do it everyone's judging everybody else yeah. so it's not just about ve- being vegan or gluten-free but like and you know what i mean these, you mentioned this before inside of these audiences like they want to take snipes at each other like i mean coming from veganism like anybody mentions that they like going to taco bell and like they get fucking flame for it and it's like that's ridiculous because like affordability doesn't work like that and like yeah white castle launched a vegan burger for two dollars and well i guess it's that's the thing is i guess it's technically not vegan because it came out a week ago and we had to decide whether or not like the fda enforcing uh testing on rats is vegan or not because like some ideologically pure person had to be like no let me find a way to shame you and it's just like yeah, I think so. I so I'm a huge fan of Marianne Williamson. Don't know if you listen to her. She's she's like an American writer. She's um a spiritual per, like leader. Anyway, she's a bad bitch. But I've been really getting into this um particular um set of um talks and lectures she's done. And she says, you know, you can point you you can look at all the things and say this is the problem and that and the problem but the biggest problem in the world is the pointed finger like who are you pointing your finger at who are you judging who are you not loving who are you not accepting so i think it goes into that in the sense that like i try and often fail but i'm always trying to be like how can i choose the most loving possibility mm-hmm. and for me and i think for smackdab at this time the most loving possibility is like if i have Eight people walk in and they range from the biggest meat eater, you know, lover of dairy and egg to the most restricted vegan, gluten free. They can all sit together and eat and it doesn't have to be an issue. Mm -hmm. And they can like maybe have an experience of connection rather than separation. So, yeah, haters going to hate. People are really judgy, but it's just like, what are we covering up when we're just afraid to accept someone else you know like how is it different from being feeling like you're attacked as a vegan to attacking a meat eater like and i think in our current political situation too it's like if maybe we could just open our hearts and our ears to just listen like Mm -hmm. because we are literally not getting anywhere so i think i use food almost like in this metaphorical sense to just like be open and accepting because it's like a little kitty with milk you know you're gonna get them close to you with food like it's easy to get people to trust you when you serve them really good food and are really nice to them and it's this universal metaphor like it's like it's so easy to be like like exactly how you said like everyone eats it's you like gotta so eat relatable. like food and fucking right like so these two things are primal to who we are and like and though no, nothing on earth is as stigma like stigmatized and shamed as those two things. So I'm like, okay, oh, we're, not, we're not selling sex, just to be clear. <laughs> Even though I am pro sex worker rights, but like, but food is a way to connect universally. And so it is, it's a compelling industry and it like keeps pulling you in. You know, you're mm-hmm. like, I'm going to quit. I can't do this. This shit is crazy. I'm so tired. And then you serve someone 
and they're like cry because it's like that donut their grandma used to make or they say that was literally the best breakfast sandwich I've ever had in my life and it's like so validating you know it's like just I I can so deeply relate to what you're saying on a couple levels first of all when you were saying like the importance of like the biggest meat eater coming in and being able to eat with like the most restricted like you know strict strict vegan it's like those spaces are so important like whenever my mom comes down and visits like she is not she's like she does not give a shit about veganism like at all and so like finding places that like we can go and like we can still eat but that she won't like complain she'll be happy yeah she'll be happy you're not going to urban vegan you know what i mean because it's a little overkill which is okay. I mean, it's great for us. Like, we, like, whatever. But, but it's like, an echo chamber. It's a space yeah. that is, and I don't think, I think that, it's like, safe spaces for an, an individual identity is, like, really powerful. For, and, and in way more um, important ways than veganism. Like, obviously, like, there are way more important individual spaces. And those individual spaces should be cherished, should be kept, like, a way in which people can communicate of, of their, of their, like to people who have the same experience, but there's but, also yeah, something about having that space, that communal space that includes everyone in a way that's equitable. And I think that's something that we're not, we're just, I, I don't know. And I mean, you, you, you um, bring up the, like the political state we're in and yeah, that's like a really um, like valid metaphor to that end where it's like, we're just not, we're like like passing ships of like just, as far as like everyone's just like fighting on each other. Yeah, because, about everything because it's just really hard. You know, I think it's really hard to be loving and open when everyone is like you. I mean mm-hmm. that right? So like, yeah. you can say like I am so accepting of everyone when everyone is in many ways very similar to you. But then someone comes at you and you're like fuck you and you're like oh my god was not as advanced as I thought I was. Right. So I I understand I understand. I think we all understand why we don't go there, but like we got to go there. Like it's like time to get there. Like that whole like comfort zone is like got to be done because we're at, I think a critical impasse in a lot of ways. So sometimes that may think seems like it's like, maybe that's a little more outside of the scope of what SmackDab does, but you know, you got to find your niche and you got to do it. Right. So it's like everything has an impact and I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish people's capacity to be inspired. But I think it's an interesting you know? thing, though. And I think that the, how, what you just said is kind of where I'm trying to get at, which is like, what happens when universality is your is your niche? What happens when you're trying when when you're when trying? What happens to- when you're actually a bodhisattva on this planet? I don't know. I'm not yeah. one. <laughs> no, I'm no, not sorry, one. Sorry, I'm, sorry. no, 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 no. But really, like, but it. But the thing is, is we're all hopefully doing the same thing, yeah. right? So if you are living your best life, living your truth, your truth is pretty fucking accepting and open, right? So you're inspiring people by being your most embodied self. And that shit is powerful. That's why people like coming to SmackDab. The food is, yes, it's good. But people come because they know they're going to get seen. And that's something that I very intentionally done. And I used to do it unconsciously, but then I went and got trained as like a clairvoyant and a psychic. And I did all this like three years of intense energy work. And then it was like, no, no, I can actually now do this very consciously and realizing like that that is what we need. Food feeds us physically, that feeds us spiritually, right? So yeah. spirits get so interested when people are doing what they love, right? So anytime you see someone in their like in their zone, you're like, damn, they are like sexy. They are doing it. 
And for some people, that's like racing bicycles. And for other people, that's doing the most boring things on the planet for me. But you can always know when someone is animated because it's just like you're attracted to that because you're like, whoa, they're like really into their body. Like, that's really cool. So I do think everyone's just got to find their thing. And I think like restaurants are so romanticized. No one wants to know what running a restaurant is really like. It's mm-hmm. terrible. I mean, you do it because you love it. It is the quintessential labor of love. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's again, now I think it like I look at parents and I'm like, how do you do that? That seems even harder than what we're doing. But like, you know, everyone's like, oh, I love restaurants. I watch chef's tables. I watch like this and that. And I'm like, restaurants are going to crush mm-hmm. your soul. You're not going to make any money for a long time. And even if you're really successful, you don't make that much money. But like, man, when you love it, if you can strike the right chord, it is a thing, right? So it's just... Like, the good days in a restaurant are the best fucking days. You're just, like, your heart is just, like, open, and it's just flowing, and people are so happy, and then, you know, something goes terribly wrong, and someone doesn't show up for work, and you do eight hours of dishes, and you think, like, why? (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I could literally talk about food the rest of my life, and not even so much, like, for me, I'm not so much a chef. I'm a home cook and blah, 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 but... It's more about the vehicle of getting food to people and the interaction and how it can change them and open them up and like see them become vulnerable and like really enjoy themselves. It's like we're like body and spirit become one and it's very pleasurable, right? So it's not this like I'm going to force myself to go run 10 miles. Like when you have a good meal, it's just like, damn, that shit is good. And you remember it your whole life, right? So it's like it's transcendent and it's very cool um so yeah so food for me it's like I do like you know the specifics of flavors but not as much as like the delivery into people and sort of that transformation so I mean food is how we met like we or we went to uh we came to an event that was being hosted by yeah and I think I was just pounding back the donuts yeah and like we were picking we were on our way out stuffing donuts into our bag being like you should come on our podcast and like it was just like that was like food food is the vehicle food is like food is how things happen like yeah. we take most of our meetings over food because because why because why, duh because hello also when you're hungry you can't concentrate mm-hmm. yeah. it's very difficult um yeah. so yeah i think it can be really an endlessly creative but also deeply practical thing and i love food because people now this is where a little bit more of the capitalist comes in you know people can cut a lot of things out of their budget but they ain't cutting food out of their budget because man you're hungry and you're like but that's smack dab though you know i just or you're like well it's only eight dollars so it's these ways you can treat yourself and it's not like buying a car or buying a house or getting you know a haircut or it, it's it's small and you're also hungry so you do it and so mm-hmm. I always thought food will always be around you know it's not one of those things that you don't you notice you know we're rushing to do all these things like technology and all these things no one's rushing to like put a capsule in your mouth so you don't have to eat people fucking love to eat they're mm-hmm. never gonna not love eating it's in fact we're almost like getting more and more complex ways to eat right yeah. so it's like I just think back to like the vomitoriums of like, you know, ancient Rome and like how we've always just tried to find more ways to enjoy food more. So it's fun to be in that journey because it's like the challenges are not how to make yourself 
wanted. People always want food. It's just all the other challenges right. that come along with it. Wow. Um, we have a few minutes left. So the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Uh, I, sometimes I always have a bit here where I'm like, sometimes that's very obvious, like the event that you very clearly have coming up. For you, I guess it's, or do you, um, unless you have events, do you have events coming up or anything like that? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> sometimes it's very obvious, like like letting people know where your storefront is, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Sure. Uh, otherwise, we love hearing about um, shout outs to other folks that you think are doing dope work um, or any self care media that you're consuming books movies tv shows music stuff like that yeah wow a minute i need like 10 more minutes but (laughs) um okay so let's see we're at the corner of clark and pratt um that patio is about to open Oh, oh nice and big um super excited about a nighttime program, um, but it's been a little bit behind schedule because of staffing. We want to do it right. We want to make sure it's like a great experience, um, but really excited because we'll have gluten-free options, again, vegan options, regular options. Axel knows how to make that pizza dough. It is fire. Um, so that's going to be exciting. So just stay tuned. And then if you haven't been to the pop-up at Rogers Park Social, which is also the best bar in Rogers Park, um, I would highly recommend coming by on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, you may see me there. Um, but also, it's just such a nice space, and we've really, it's really, that is a labor of love, and it's been a lot of work to do that. Um, so it's really great to have people still coming there and supporting in addition to the Clark location. Um, let's see, shout outs to Peeps Doing It Right. Um, some of my favorite people in the city are Halfwit. I think they're doing great. Um, I love Halfwit. They are lovely. Podcast and it was so good. Travis is awesome. Um, and I just saw him today. Um, they're a great company. Um, the sauce that we use, the Ahi Sober Mesa, they are lovely. Um, Gabe is the um, head of the savory program at Cellador Provisions, which is delish and their supper club uh sober mesa supper club was actually so good that was what inspired us to do ours at the time i was eating vegan and gluten-free because i had done a crazy one month cleanse and it was like whoa and gabe made the most amazing eight course dinner and axel and i were like we got to do this his food is on such a high caliber it's awesome but they make the ahi sobra mesa they're all puerto rican so they're all boricua and they like make this amazing peruvian sauce and they're just hardworking and loving and amazing and i think that's great because we've really shit on puerto rico um as as a country we really failed that's, that sorry, moment. that's not funny i just no but it's yeah. but it's so true so shout out to them i mean there's so many people doing great things but they come to mind first and then my self-care has been kind of turned on its head because i've been doing a course in miracles which is this crazy, not crazy, it's amazing. This woman in the 1970s received, like almost channeled this information from her um, consciousness. And it's this 365 day program about like literally deprogramming your ego and relearning everything. It's fucking my shit up. Marianne Williamson wrote a great book about it, A Return to Love. Marianne Williamson is my self-care right now. Um, So I highly recommend checking it out because it's really made me rethink what ways I am still very unloving towards myself, to the world, how you perceive things as like an attack and how you attack the world and how that is just an illusion. So it's kind of pretty mind-blowing and pretty cool. And I listen to it while I walk my dog and like totally space out and think about metaphysical things. And it's kind of really nice. And it's a nice foil to the very, very, very grounded work of 
doing dishes and cleaning toilets, which Mm -hmm. is often my end of day. So (laughs) it's like a dark, you know, it's darkness and lightness and it's all the same thing, you know, so it's good. Yeah, it's good. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to our website. That is scopymag.com. We spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G.com. We post all of our articles and podcast episodes there. Um, you can also keep up with us on the old social media. Um, we're on WordPress. Please follow us there. And uh, we're also on Facebook. Um I mentioned WordPress first because we post all of our posts. I'm still figuring out this whole social media section. Sure. Facebook page is Scopy Magazine. Um, and we also have a Facebook group. I mentioned it before. Um, it's a really fun space where we talk about... Mainly astrology. And arts. <laughs> local arts, politics, mansplaining. Good stuff. Um, it's called Sounding Board. Yeah, find it. If you can't find it, uh, then shoot either Maureen, me, or the Facebook page a message. Otherwise, you can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram under ScopyMag. And you can also find us on most of the podcast places, Google Play, iTunes, Radio Public, under Scopy Radio. And I'm here to talk about the importance of subscribing. Um, If you head to our website, ScopyMag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there you can subscribe in a couple ways. First of all, if you enter in your email address um, to the top bar that you see, uh, you're going to get an email every time we post something because Facebook eats our shit. Um, So yeah, do yourself a favor and uh, sign up for those email email reminders because it's great. We post really cool stuff and you can be some of the first people to receive it. Uh, The other way that you can subscribe is by becoming a member. for a $5 a month contribution, you get a really cool pin that says go out and make something, which is our sign off. Um, at $10 a month, we're going to roll out like a cool incentive that we're like still finalizing, but it's going to be really fun. So get in on that. And we also offer advertising for as little as $25 a month. We get a lot of site traffic. It's a super viable platform. If you're interested, give us a shout at scopymag at gmail.com. So... Subscribe. (laughs) Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.